This is the land of the free. Stories of life and liberty in a time of war. Hi, I'm Joe Lindsley talking to you from the offices of Ukrainska Pravda in Kyiv. And with my team from Ukrainian Freedom News, this is our podcast, Land of the Free. And today we're talking with uh, one of the great chroniclers of Russia's full-scale war on Ukraine, Mr. John Sweeney, uh, here with us uh, in his iconic orange hat. Uh, we'll hear about that. And John, uh, I think, John, you and I both share some Irish heritage. Uh, so two mix here telling the story uh, <laughs> of the fight for freedom. And uh, John, you have worked extensively in the British media, uh, worked for the BBC, uh, the Observer on Sunday. Uh, you currently are contributing to the uh, Jewish Chronicle and to Byline Times, uh, but mainly your reporting can be seen in your Twitter account, where every single day you're telling the story, the reality of what's happening here in Ukraine. Uh, you've written a number of books, uh, a novel we'll talk about called The Useful Idiot, uh, which is a pretty fascinating insight into the history of Soviet uh, tactics against Ukraine. Uh, we have this book here, Killer in the Kremlin, uh, about obviously about Vladimir Putin. And in here, you did some fortune telling. Uh, you predicted something very important we can talk about. And there's uh, a, a book that's out right now from Penguin uh, called Putin's Prisoner about uh, Adan Aslan, uh, who was, uh, was sentenced to death in Donetsk. And you have his inside story on how he got out of that situation. Uh, so such an honor to be here with you, John. And uh, uh, let's start by, you, you, you know, you've been one of the icons of this war, in part, in large part, because of this orange hat. Uh, what's the story of your hat? Uh, well, so, Joe, so what's happening is I'm bald and it's cold. And I'm, I arrive on the Valentine's Day last year. Listen, Joe, I've had some bad Valentine's days in my life. <laughs> but this was, it was bleak because we could all feel the war coming. We could all feel the big war coming. And um, it's cold. I've got my duffel coat. So I look like Major Calloway from The Third Man. You know, if you remember, who's the British intelligence. I'm American, so I don't know. I don't know The Third Man. It's a great film. Yeah. Orson Welles uh -huh. was, okay, uh, was in it. Okay, yeah. so uh, that's no excuse that you're American. <laughs> but anyway, um, and in my duffel coat is an orange hat, so an orange woolly hat. Mm. I bought it for... I bought it in an Italian ski resort, and I said, have you got, that's a terrible color, have you got anything else? I said, no, but for you, free euros. So it's a silly orange woolly woolen hat. It's very cold. And um, at that time, quite understandably, Ukrainian police, Ukrainian soldiers are full of fear because the Russian army is 12 miles away. They, you know, they've hit Hostomel, um, the airbase um, to the north of Kiev. They eventually punch, or they pretty quickly punch down to um, Irpin and Bucha, which is 12 miles from the center. So there's a lot of paranoia um, in the in the center. And if you can't immediately explain who you are um, in Ukrainian or Russian, then you're in trouble. Um, so there's a moment I'm filming everything, day two, and. Um, this guy, he's, he says, stop filming. And he's some kind of Ukrainian soldier. He's not wearing proper uniform. Anyway, I sort of, what I'm doing is I'm videoing myself on my Twitter feed because I also I've got patrons at Patreon at John Sweeney Raw, whatever it is, R-O-A-R, as in shouting at Scientology, but never mind that. I'm filming myself. My phone faces two ways. So it looks as though I'm filming that way, but actually I'm filming myself. 
So I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. Of wrong. course. I'm just filming myself. But suddenly this guy comes out of the bushes with a gun. And he said, I told you to stop filming. And and then, and then give me your passport. And I'm, I, I'm very stroppy. So I go, you're not a policeman. <laughs> and he gets really angry. <laughs> give me your passport. So a simple piece of advice, don't argue with the Ukrainian <laughs> with a loaded <laughs> machine gun. And uh, now it's day two, so we're all feeling that way. And then, and then somebody says, Russian spy. And I, do I look like a Russian spy? Give me your passport, give me your press pass. And, and remember that I used to work for the BBC, I used to work for Newsnight Panorama, but I left in 2019. So I'm stone cold f freelance. I don't have any machinery. I don't have a flat jacket. At this point, I'm uh, not working for the Jewish Chronicle. I don't have a proper paper uh, behind me. I've got nothing. And, and and I don't look credible because I don't have a TV crew in, in the way that I used to kind of look credible, mm. I suppose. So, um, um, so I'm in trouble. And uh, they take me uh, into, there is a, I don't know if you know it, but the road down to Padil, there's a little kind of slightly, it looks like a kind of lodge to a fairy castle on the left, just underneath the bridge of glass. Mm -hmm. It's a little white building. Like a, it's strange, and actually inside it is the water pumping station for Padil, um, which is their base. Padil is the riverside neighborhood of yeah, Keith. it's the yeah, riverside down neighborhood below. down from the mm -hmm. uh, Krishatik, down from mm -hmm. the center of Keith. Anyway, I'm I'm put in there, and I'm I'm on my own, and suddenly the door closes, and I'm a little bit scared. But this is Ukraine, and a really nice grandma comes and gives me a cup of tea. So <laughs> I kind of. Uh, but I'm I'm still pissed off with them because I'm trying to film stuff and they're I've been arrested and Russian spy do I look like a Russian spy? Google me, look at my Twitter picture. My Twitter picture is the moment in 2014 after the shooting down of MH17, Joe, when I doorstepped in English English when I challenged Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. You personally, you, you yes, I personally met Vladimir Putin. This is in the Kremlin at a press conference. No, or where, where was no, this? no, no. You can't do like they wouldn't let me into yeah. something like that. Mm -hmm. You cannot challenge Vladimir Putin in Moscow, and they control the press conferences so tightly, sure. and they only get their patsies or people who play their game to ask questions. So somebody like me, I would have no chance. We worked out that he was opening a mammoth museum in uh, Yakutsk, in eastern Siberia. Mm -hmm. It's it's nine time zones east of London. Mm. Uh, to be honest with you, I'd just been uh, to my niece's wedding and I was still half cut from the wedding, but I was wearing my wedding suit. And I looked, you know, my beard was shorter then, but it's, I looked like a professor of mammothology, which is what <laughs> I lined up with all the other professors of mammothology. And when he came in to open the museum, I leapt out of the queue and I shook his hand and I said, tell me about the killings in Ukraine. Tell me about MH17. And he, he stopped. I'll answer your question. All of the Kremlin cameras put their TV, TV lights on because they thought this was an official question. So I doorstep Vladimir Putin. Well, After that, a few hours later, uh, there was a second event. He was opening some pipeline with a Chinese deputy prime minister. And I was walking slowly to, I'd already done it and we'd already filmed it for this BBC panorama. And the reason I wanted to do this, Joe, was simple, is I'd been to the crash site in Donetsk 
and I'd seen the wreckage and I'd seen the corpses and I'd seen little mini suitcases mum and dad pull their toddlers along on. We should remind everyone, this was the flight uh, from, it was from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur, and it, M, M Malaysia Airlines, a lot of Australians, a lot of Dutch, mm-hmm. um, uh, 10 Britons, mm-hmm. um, 298 people in all, shot out of the sky by a Russian Buk missile. They thought they were fighting, shooting at a Ukrainian fighter, mm-hmm. but the problem is when they um, put it across the border, they put it across to keep everything secret on a pontoon bridge, yeah. and the pontoon bridge couldn't hold both the rocket launcher and the very heavy radar that went with it. So they left the radar unit back in Russia. And that meant they didn't have a clean sight of what they were shooting at. Sure. And so they, they hit something that was moving fast in the sky, but it was full of tourists going on holiday. This is over Donetsk. It was... Uh, 2014, the, after yes. Ukraine's Maidan revolution, when Russia sent... Yes. Uh, they, were, they were trying to take Eastern Ukraine back yes, then. Yes, they were trying to take Eastern Ukraine. And this was, and because the Ukrainians did have uh, an air force and their proxy traitor people in Donetsk and Lugansk didn't, they sent this book um, missile to take out a Ukrainian jet and they murdered 298 people. I challenged Putin about this. And he at gives, this mammoth museum and the mammoth museum in and, and he um, and the other uh, interesting bit of the story the story's got lots of levels to it <laughs> but uh, I was starving off the plane because I've been traveling on planes non-stop from London nine time zones east and the moment I got off the plane I said I, I need a kebab I need a kebab and uh, the producer said no we got no we have no time nonsense we're stopping I need a kebab we stop a kebab I will fit and then I uh, I challenged Putin, and Putin, as ever, gives a very, very long and kind of technically proficient but fundamentally dishonest answer, blaming the Ukrainians. And and I'm significantly taller than him. I'm like I'm almost six foot, and he's something like five foot seven. And as he kind of drones on the TV lights, suddenly I realise that there's something wrong with this kebab. And it's slowly coming up my stomach. And there's this sense, oh, my God, I'm going to projectile vomit over the president of the Russian Federation. Now, okay, here's the positive. I'll never have to buy a beer in Kiev ever again. That's the positive. Or or Odessa or or anywhere in Ukraine. But, 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 you know, will I live? And and then there's this kind of like and the, the kebab is kind of yo-yoing up and down my esophagus, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm really going to go <laughs> all over Putin. I have to say, the kebab stayed down, but to be honest with you, Joe, I regret it now. <laughs> you wish you had thrown up yeah. on it, <laughs> but I think it was enough to to because he never gets he never has been challenged with a tough question. Yes, like it that. was and, good to do that. But what happened to me about? Three hours later, yeah. I'm going towards this second press conference, mm-hmm. um, and I'm just going to go at the back. I'm, I'm running my own business, and a, and a guy in a suit comes up to me, boom, and thumps me in the belly. Ooh, and I'm and, and I bend double, and by the time I look up, he's gone. So they didn't like my question, yeah. and 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 the reason I'm I'm, I'm talking about this is. That there are people in the West like Trump, like Tucker Carlson, uh, like Ramaswamy, who say, you know, they can stop the war. We've got to do a peace deal with this guy. You can't do a peace deal with this guy. He's a serial killer. 
Anyway, going back to the moment I'm arrested on well, day yeah, two. And I, I want to get back to yeah, the yeah. moment you were arrested. Maybe yeah, yeah. we'll end up finishing. So anyway, so this well, guy... Before anyway. that, John, because I want, yes. because, uh, some of your backstory, because, you know, I mean, it, it takes a, uh, a good deal of gumption uh, to to sort of, you know, under the guise of a professor of, you know, uh, prehistory or something, uh, to travel to Siberia, to ask Putin a question, uh, and even have to have a kebab before going into this. I can't imagine uh, the gumption it takes. Uh, but that has defined your career uh, since the very beginning. And I saw somewhere a story about, I think early in your career, you were uh, you were in Africa, was it, uh, and you were trying to investigate- Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe. And you were trying to investigate, or you were trying to meet with the opposition to Mugabe. Yeah. And is it true that you went to the, you know, because the, also you could not travel freely there, that you went to the great length of hiding in a car trunk or a car boot, as you would say? Yes. Okay. Tell, tell us that story a little bit, because I- because so many people follow you on Twitter now, <laughs> and they see you in Ukraine every day, but this is who you are, is coming to these difficult, dangerous places. So we, we'd gone to Harare. What year was this, by the uh, way? No, 2002. Mm -hmm. Mugabe's in power, um, and we go to Harare, and we're kind of undercover. You were working with uh, BBC. BBC. I'm working for yeah. uh, BBC at the time, and we're kind of undercover, and we're arrested. Uh, by the um, Mugabe secret police. I think they're called A-10. And they they threaten us with anal rape. And I turn to the producer, Simon Finch, and I go, well, boss, what do we do now? And he turns on me and he says, that's the first time you've ever called me boss. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's out of, over my pay level. <laughs> but anyway, we're all kicked out. Um, and sent back to South Africa. The, 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 they, the secret police gave our passports to the pilots. That's how it works. That's the, the kind of tradition of it. And it was only when we're off the plane that we got our passports back because we'd been thrown out of uh, Zimbabwe. So, uh, I, can I swear? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm... Excuse anyway, Mr. John so Sweeney, speak freely. I, yeah. I, well, I said to myself, f*** that. And I... Um, we, I was smuggled back into Zimbabwe completely illegally. And so I am not just undercover, but I, if, if I'm caught, I'm in trouble. And I want to interview Morgan Shangarai. Um, who, uh, he's uh, departed now, uh, God bless his soul, but a good man and a brave man. And he's the, 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 the head of the, the opposition. And there is a kind of police checkpoint outside. So I can't be seen to go in there because I might get arrested. But we work out a way. And so I go in a car and I get into the trunk, as Americans call it, or the boot. And and when I arrive, um, the producer gets, um, it's a different producer, but he gets Morgan to go to the boot of the car. Morgan's a little puzzled and the boot pops open. And then I, I'm in the boots, and as I climb out, I go, hello, I'm from the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I've got a kind of fair old history on Wikipedia. So I was very interested, uh, very irritated to be called uh, a Russian spy by this Ukrainian soldier. Oh, on the second day of the full-scale On the second in, in day Kiev. of the war. Yeah. Do I look like a Russian spy? Give me your passport. And then we're, we're still kind of rowing. I said, just Google me. And he... He, he puts down the phone and goes, Russians, uh, you know, Ruspia, uh, um, Rus uh, I'm going to get this wrong, um, Rusia um, Spianka, Russian mm -hmm. spy, something like this. And 
I'm not a Russian spy. Just Google me. Look at my Twitter picture. And my Twitter picture, Joe, is me challenging Vladimir Putin or trying to keep the kebab down in the Mammoth Museum in Yakutsk. That's my Twitter picture. And... And then finally, having booked me to go to the SBU, Ukrainian intelligence, the guy's arrested me. His name is Vlad Demchenko. And more about him in a second. He looks and then he sees you've you've challenged Vladimir Putin. Yes. And then he sees you've challenged Donald Trump and Trump Trump walks out on you. Yes. And then he smiles to himself and goes, I think you have an interesting story. <laughs> but this time, I'm booked into the SBU. We go to the SBU headquarters. Remember, it's day two. And um, we go to the rear entrance by mistake. And the soldiers there don't recognize, know, or trust the soldiers who've arrested me. And that they stand round our car, guns pointed at all of us. And Vlad goes, I think they're being paranoid. And I say, welcome to my world. <laughs> anyway, to cut a long story short, the SBU, look at, they see that I've got some pictures of Ukrainian soldiers, delete them, happy to delete them. And they say, off you go. And I, off I go. So, um, and then I catch up um, with Vlad Demchenko. The guy who arrested you. And we become great friends. <laughs> uh, and he's written the foreword. Mm -hmm. He's now in Ukrainian special forces. And so the foreword to Putin's prisoner was written by him in May. And this is absolutely genuine. Vlad Demchenko, Ukrainian special forces, Bakhmut. Because that's where he was. When, as, as he was one of the last units out of Bakhmut. He's wow. still being, he, and last year, he got me into Bakhmut five times um, when it was significantly less bad mm -hmm. than it was. I went under my own steam uh, in October and December. And after December's trip, I thought, don't do that again. It's just too hairy. It's terrifying. Yeah. But, but at the same time, Vlad is very funny, uh, very witty. I mean, he, you know, during COVID, he hitchhiked to Zambia. He's that kind of guy. And, and, and I mean, I think to, to everybody who's listening to this, you, you've got to understand the fighting spirit of the Ukrainian army is kind of off planet. Um, so when I was in Bakhmut last August, almost the, just a year and a, um, um, and a, uh, a year and a week uh, last uh, away and last August, Bakhmut was under uh, constant shell. Pretty much, it was under constant, constant shelling, yeah, yeah. but there the was it wasn't kind of like it was risky. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a terrible risk to go there. Sure. Um, anyway, we're in a trench, a little bit out of the out of the uh, out of the city, uh, and in the trench, somebody gives me a cup of tea, and on the mug, uh, it says "best grandma" in Ukrainian. And I'm and Chris Okichoni is a great friend of, of me and Vlad. He's a wonderful American photographer who took the wonderful picture of the of the lady rescuing dogs in Butcher and Irpin, or Irpin, I think, by the bridge. So you see a beautiful Ukrainian woman with five or six dogs on leads. Mm. She's rescuing these poor animals because their their owners have either been killed or, or had to flee in such a hurry that they miss their dogs. Chris says anyway. Vlad says, hey, John, it says... Um, best grandma. The, the, uh, best grandma. And Chris says, hey, John, you can be a grandma if you'd like to be. That's why Ukraine is fighting this war. <laughs> to be free. <laughs> and we're all giggling. 
and the Russian army's a mile away. And there's this kind of sense of, yes, yes, you know, they're trying to kill us all, but, but fuck off, we're having another Always street. this cheekiness, this yeah. cheerful defiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, there is a tri and it is absolutely true that in the worst of times, you meet the best of people. The very best. So I have met in Ukrainian trenches the aristocracy of the human spirit. Say that again. You've met in the trenches, you know, the, the aristocracy, trenches, of, the the aristocracy of the human spirit. What? People like Vlad Damchenko, his friends, ordinary soldiers, full of fun, courteous, civil, looking after cats, looking after dogs, doing their thing. Um, and what Vlad says is, well, you know, this is Lord of the Rings, you know, and we're the Shire. Yeah. All we want to do is drink beer and go dancing. But but we've got to fight the monster. And the reason I'm here and the reason I spend as much of my time here as possible is because uh, this feels like being in Kiev, being in Ukraine, feels like what it would have been in London or in Britain in 1940. All everybody wanted to do was go dancing and drink beer. But we, the British, had to fight the monster, Adolf Hitler. Now the monster has got a different accent, not German, but Russian. And these people, you know, they're, it's a peaceful democracy. But do not goad the democratic bear. What's happened is that this peaceful democracy has turned out to be full of fighters and full of fights. And it's an honor to tell this story. John, as you as you tell this, as you say those words, the aristocracy, the human spirit, one reason we've started this, actually the main reason we started this podcast, Land of the Free, is to reach Americans who, because that's where we get, you know, that's where we need the support. We need the long-range weapons, the permission to use long-range weapons. And, uh, you know, Americans, we love self-help books. We love superhero movies. We love good versus evil movies. Uh, you know, Amazon has that billion-dollar series about the Lord of the Rings here, literally, people say that they're fighting the orcs, and and so you know this is the uh, this is the, if you love act you know super superhero action movies this is it in real life. Uh, if you like you know people that listen to Joe Rogan and take ice baths every morning here you have a missile bath you know you don't have to go to these crazy extremes it's here every single day and we see this excellence and and but it's being ignored by by so much of the you know including people like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson and the people that talk about uh, how to improve your life. This is the best case study for, how, again, I love this idea, the aristocracy of the human spirit, uh, how to be excellent and noble in the, and, and cheerful in the yes. war circumstances. Yes, and, um, you know, um, I know the other side of the story. We've made a film with Byline TV, and you can get it on Apple TV. It's called um, Under Deadly Skies, uh, um, colon, Ukraine's Eastern Front. And we, we see civilians who've, who withstood rocket and artillery fire um, in Dnipro and Kherson and out in the east. And we've interviewed um, a torture, uh, several torture victims, but one particular guy, he cries on camera. So I get the other thing. But at the same time, you know, the spirit of the, of, of the soldiers, of the people, um, it's extraordinary. And, and, um, it's the great pride of my life in the kind of, you know, I'm 65, this is the sunset of my career, but it's a pride of my life to tell the story. It's an honor to be here. 
Now, I say that to you, but you and I both would have heard the um, the air raid sirens at four o'clock this morning. Like, yeah. uh, like <laughs> it, it, you know, it's annoying. Uh, by the way, um, you can uh, bleep this, of course, but every, every day on my Twitter messages, I, I do a little video wearing my silly orange hat, and I go, um, oh, well, one last thing. I have a simple message to Vladimir Putin. It goes like this, Vladimir Putin, do fuck off. Very politely said. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah I said, by the way, it's uh, so in English, English, fuck off is kind of almost like hello, but do fuck off is rude. It, it's ruder, you know, because it, it, the do makes it ruder Emphatic. in some way. Yeah. It, it, to, our, to English, English is, British English is. It's it's what the king might say. Anyway, uh, <laughs> do, do you do you get used to? Uh, I mean, you've been traveling throughout the country, but you're based in Kiev. Yes. Do, do you get? Uh, and were you here during the month of May, for example, when there were attacks almost every other night? Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. yeah. I slept. By the way, I finished. Um, so I was helping Aiden. Aiden went ahead and wrote the book. And, and Aiden, we should, uh, Aiden was so he's a British. He's a British chancellor. He was fighting with the Ukrainian Marines yeah. under contracts, not a mercenary. Um, uh, before the full scale invasion, uh, before right? the full scale invasion, yeah, yeah. and um, he's a he's a big lad full of fun from Nottinghamshire, and uh, essentially his unit um, they are surrounded in Mariupol. They retreat to the there are two steelworks in Mariupol. He retreats him him and his um, um, battalion retreat to the Illich um, steelworks. And their ammo dump is hit by a Russian plane and everything goes up in smoke. So they've got no bullets left and they're running out of food and water and the situation is hopeless. So they decide to surrender to the Russians and um, um, he, the Russians hand them over to their proxies. These are the, this kind of Mickey Mouse states. But instead of Mickey Mouse, it's just populated by psychos called the Donetsk People's Republic. It's not a, a country, it's a joke statelet created um, by, by the Russians, by the Kremlin, and uh, the people in it are Ukrainian traitors who have lost their marbles. Did you ever go there in yeah, the years before? I was there in the um, yes, I've been. Uh, I was there in 2014 mm -hmm. after the we were allowed in. The international media were allowed in after the shooting down of MH17, mm -hmm. and um, and it was you could see it was like a it was like a gangster town. Um, anyway, uh, Aiden is tortured, knocked unconscious, stabbed. Um, while he's in uh, uh, in captivity, the Russians kill a fellow prisoner they beat him to death uh, in the neighboring cell and Aiden is sentenced to death eventually he's exchanged um but the, <laughs> you get a flavor of the barbaric you read this book Putin's prisoner Putin's prisoner you get a flavor of the extreme barbarity of of the Russian killing machine so people like Trump and um, and the others who say Ukraine should, you know, I, I can get Ukraine to do a peace deal. The problem is the terms of that peace deal for ordinary and extraordinary Ukrainians will be an acceptance that they will be tortured, their children will be abducted, that their women will be raped, and at least, and this happens, that some Ukrainian prisoners of war have been castrated. 
So this is a negotiation. But what I'd like to say to the Americans who are in favor of this is, okay, let's negotiate. But if you're a man, first of all, I'm going to castrate you. And then we talk. Now, you wouldn't do that, would you? You would not talk. You would not negotiate with somebody who might castrate you or your family. You just wouldn't do that because there's no point. So the, the point of, of, of the book I've written, The Killer in the Kremlin, is that Vladimir Putin is a serial killer. By the way, the moment, I have to say, I mean, I didn't do this, but the moment Prigozhin w was blown up in the fireball, a very, very, very public execution, the sales of my book went through the roof because my argument is don't trust Vladimir Putin because he kills people. And I start roughly 2000, he's running for president, and there's a plane crash. Um, there's a guy called Artyom Borovic who falls out the sky mm. uh, and everybody in the private jet um, he's with. And the reason is, according to Litvinenko, who was subsequently poisoned with polonium 2 then, Borovic was working on a story that Putin was a paedophile. I, it's a horrible allegation to make against somebody, and I don't think Litvinenko had the evidence, and I say so in the book, because it's right to be fair and proper with evidence and weigh it carefully. But the consequence was, I believe, that he was poisoned with polonium-210. There's another chap. He was a, a Russian journalist. He was a Russian... No, he was a Russian former KGB former officer KGB, uh, who was uh, the guy who was poisoned... Litvinenko was poisoned with polonium-210 in London uh, and died after writing that blog. This was in 2006. 2006. 2006. And then I remember there was a Russian submarine that sunk in a disaster. The, Kur the Kursk. Yeah, what year was that? 2002, and I think. I, I remember I saw recently... Uh, or that maybe was earlier. Back when, uh, uh, you know, George W. Bush said, I looked into Putin's eyes and I saw a noble person or whatever. Margaret Thatcher, then Baroness Thatcher, quite old at the time, she gave a speech where she said, I don't... This is probably her last big public speech where she said, the way Putin reacted to that disaster, he didn't seem to care for life at all. And she said, we can't trust this guy. But the rest of the world... The French leaders, the German leaders, the American leaders didn't seem to see that. You've British, seen that. You've been following this. And, and the British. And so, the British, the, yeah. so Tony Blair um, went on a charm offensive uh, along with George W. Bush. And his PR man is a guy called Alistair Campbell. And literally a few days ago, Alistair Campbell has written a column in a, in a newspaper called The New European in which he apologizes to me because in 2000, I went to Chechnya for The Observer, and I did a film for Channel 4, a British TV um, um, channel, called Dying for the President. And I called Vladimir Putin a war criminal because of what I'd seen in Chechnya. In 2004? No, in 2000. In 2000. In 2000, 23 years ago. Mm -hmm. And Alistair Campbell, um, there was a press conference with Putin and Tony Blair. And I stood at the back with my hand raised, and, I, and I'm, I've got a presence. I'm a big man, and I, uh, I fill the room kind of thing. And Alistair said he couldn't see me, but somebody was making a documentary about Alistair's job. And the guy called Michael Cockrell said, why you, you didn't see Sweeney? No, I missed him. 23, 23 years later, Alistair has, has said, I apologize. I was wrong about Putin. And Sweeney will say, I told you so. So here for your podcast, get this. I told you so, Alistair Campbell. I told you. I told all of you, Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. No question.
And the problem is you cannot, you know, this is like dealing, this is like having a pact with Adolf Hitler. You can't do it. It doesn't, and, and Ukraine's not going to do it. And remember, everybody, the Chinese are watching. If we if we fail Ukraine, if we don't give Ukraine, Ukraine Ukrainians aren't asking for us to fight the Russians. They're asking us to give them the tools so they can do the job. Just like what Churchill said before America uh, entered the war, give us the tools and we'll finish the job. It's the same thing. And for the moment, we are failing to do that. Now, that is the British, the Europeans, and the Americans. In and, 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 and the phrase is, we'll help Ukraine for as long as it takes. No, help Ukraine as fast as possible yeah. so the killing will stop. And we send a message to the dictators who want to destroy our way of life, mm. who want to destroy us fundamentally, to Putin and Xi, don't muck about. If you do this, if you invade peaceful countries, then we will help them fight and we will help them defend themselves. That's a very clear message. Which voices in, are there any major political leaders in the free world who understand this, who get this, you think? I think Joe Biden gets it. I think the problem with the West Wing is that there are jellyfish inside the West Wing who are worried about... Um, a Russia after Putin. And the moment that Prigozhin staged his mutiny, the jellyfish in the West Wind were given, in the West Wing, were given um, their, uh, their gander was up because people, because people feared Russia after Putin. I fear Russia under Putin. I mean, he's invaded uh, his war against the Chechens, which is theoretically part of Russia, but it was pitiless beyond belief. That's what I saw. Then he w wages war against Georgia. Then he, he sides with Bashar al-Assad in his pitiless war against the Syrian opposition. Then he invades Ukraine. Then he invades Ukraine again. Um, in the meantime, he helps get Trump elected. In the meantime, he helps the British plump for Brexit both of which are terrible mistakes in my view. Vladimir Putin is not our friend. And the Americans who are afraid of, of standing up to Putin in a timely fashion yeah. are helping Putin. And by the way, Putin's execution has changed that argument. So, And the Ukrainian foreign minister said it to Europe just the other day. The person, you know, when you're asking about doing a peace deal, well, then you should ask Prigozhin what he thinks about that. Yeah, yeah. So, Mr. Prigozhin, what happened was after the mutiny, Putin uh, reached an accommodation. You think that was a, definitely a mutiny? I mean, it, it was a mutiny. It yeah. was a real mutiny. Mm. And what happened was, in Prigozhin's mind, he, this is like uh, medieval England. Mm. Barons. I mean, I'm old, but not that old. Thank you. But uh, the, the barons. Prigozhin was a baron who wanted to overthrow the other barons yeah. because they were giving bad King John bad advice. Mm -hmm. I want to get to bad King John. The problem is because Prigozhin was after the Minister of Defence Shoigu and the top general Garasimov, he, he did it with such ferocity that suddenly one day he walked through a door and he was actually going after Putin without quite realising where his, where his energy had got him to. 
So I think it was a real mutiny. Do you think Putin manipulated this in a way, though, to further scare the West? Uh, the, I think he's an opportunist. Mm -hmm. And I think for a time he froze. Uh -huh. He froze under threat, a bit like Mitch McConnell does these days. <laughs> the, um, but he froze. And then suddenly he could see an opportunity. And then what he did was he said, and I think, well, no, why did the mutiny stop? My, my suspicion would be that the secret police got hold of Prigozhin's family, maybe a grandson, who's in playgroup at a nursery school. Yeah. Suddenly he vanishes. Stop or the kid dies. Something like that. Mm -hmm. That's how, that's the kind of mindset you've got to think. Prigozhin stops. There's a deal. And then two months later, bang, the fireball in the sky. Not just Prigozhin, but all Utkin and the money bags. The leadership of Wagner. The whole yeah. thing. And then they cement the graveyard mm. in Yekaterinburg. Yeah. Now, I am absolutely not a fan of, of Prigozhin or Wagner. The butcher of Bakhmut. Yeah. 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 Uh, these are killers, yeah. serial killers. But I think it's wrong for their graveyard to be cemented over. But that's what Putin's done. So to the Americans and say, we can do a deal with Putin, this is a man who did a deal with Prigozhin. And Prigozhin is now so much ash in an ashtray. Well, what, you do understand who you're dealing with. And this is why I think you know, people seem to be afraid. And uh, there was a Washington Post story uh, quoting an anonymous Biden official a few days ago saying, <clears throat> you know, the best weapon is strategic patience because they're afraid of actually confronting this. What, you've studied Putin so extensively. You've written books about him. Uh, you've also studied the history of, you know, Moscow's oppression under different guises. In the Soviet times, uh, you wrote a novel about uh, the Great Famines created by Stalin. Uh, it, I mean, so I guess there's two parts of this. Is this, you know, is Putin a, sort of a reincarnation of this, this Russian uh, sort of imperialistic tyranny? Uh, and B, how, what is your best, what is the best argument you would say to people in Washington, to average Americans around the country, uh, why they should not be afraid of Putin? Is that the, is that the question to ask, or or uh, why you know why they need to be more aggressive uh, in, in trying to stop Putin? So it's simple. Um, first of all, by the way, the, the, my novel about the Holodomor is called The Useful Idiots, mm -hmm. um, and it, you can get it on Amazon. And it's a it tells a story, uh, and I've you know I've, it's a novel, but it fundamentally it tells a true story of a brave and good. Um, a British journalist, a Welsh guy called Gareth Jones, who tells the truth about the Holodomor. And I also met, when I was a young reporter in the very early 80s, I met Malcolm Mugridge, and he also did the story. The great famous British uh, journalist. Yeah. Yeah. And he told the story too. Mm -hmm. um, and he got the sack from the Manchester Guardian. Gareth Jones was shot dead two years later, I believe, by the NKVD, the Soviet secret police, for daring to tell the story. Where was he killed? In China. But uh, I.e. it's disguised, but mm. I think the Russians got him in the same way that the person who hit me in the stomach after I asked Putin a rude question, I think, was the Russian secret police. Mm -hmm. Now, can I prove that? No. But do I feel it? Yes, I do. And it's very, very simple. It's when the Japanese to the Americans, the second mm. part of your question, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, the appropriate thing was strategic patience. Or was it to say, right, we're coming for you? Yeah. Now, this war is different because Russia is a nuclear power. 
So it is smart and right and proper for the West not to fight in Ukraine. But the Ukrainians understand that. They get that. All they need is for us to give them the tools to do the job. And right now what they need is F-16s and enough of them and long-range long rockets. And they will use them to defeat the Russian killing machine. But we will have no peace while Vladimir Putin is still in the Kremlin. And, and, but yes, I've got skin in the game. I've written a book which is very, very critical of Vladimir Putin. Because you've studied and, him. Uh, and I've studied him. You've and, met and, him. <laughs> and, and I've met him. One of, the, one of my sources of the book is a, an American former intelligence analyst called Paul Joyle, who said, I don't think Putin's a paedophile, but I do think he's bisexual. After Paul Joyle said that to an American TV network, I didn't run a clip, but Paul believes the Russians got hold of a transcript of what um, Paul said about Putin, that he's bisexual. Paul was shot. And because he's former US intelligence, he was shot. Yeah. He, was shot. Yeah. He, would, uh, he fought the guys who were shooting him, their gun jammed, and Paul had a big dog who went for the killers, and he lived. He spent three months in hospital, people taking bullets out of his gut. This is what happens to you. Mm. If, if, and he's American. Of, of, yeah, you, well, there's no free speech in Russia, for the, one. There is no, by the way, there is, if you criticize Putin, you have to worry about it. Yeah. So I have skin in the game here. Yeah. I, want, <laughs> I want to see mm. a Ukrainian victory and a Russian defeat and the end of Vladimir Putin's rule because... Part of me is afraid of being killed by Vladimir Putin. <laughs> but at the same time, having seen his war crimes in 2000, it sickened me, Joe, to see the same thing happening in Ukraine. The war crimes against the Chechens. Uh, the war crimes against the Chechens are the same as the mm. war crimes against Ukrainians. For example, shooting refugees, shooting yeah. cars with children in them. Yeah. They did it in Chechnya, and I interviewed an eight-year-old girl who was the only survivor, and her little brothers and sisters were all killed, along with her mum and dad. Um, and I interviewed her in, um, in uh, neighboring Dagestan in 2000, and then uh, on the road to um, Bucha and Borodanka, I saw car after car after car with Jetty scrawled on it. It means kids yeah. in Russian. And the Russians had shot up the car again and again and again. You saw this in Mariupol too. Yeah. So you see this in Mariupol. Mm. You, um, there's a wonderful film everybody must see, 20 Days in Mariupol. About the, uh, it was about the Associated Press team that was yeah. stuck in Mariupol. Yeah. And it, it is a brilliant film and very dark, um, but brilliant. And also I've been to Kharkiv. I've been to Kherson, Mar um, um, Mikhailov, um, everywhere you go. Everywhere, I mean, I, uh, Kupiansk. Um, have you been tortured? Yes. I'm, and well, I'm the mayor, talk, you, and here's the deputy mayor. He was tortured more. When you speak I, with people who were, they lived under Russian occupation yes. for uh, six months, eight months. Uh, every, virtually, you throw a stick into a crowd and and, 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 and anyone being tortured and every, yes, me, 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 Yeah, me. Man, I was in Kozachalopa outside of Kharkiv talking with the, the mayor and she was in tears. She couldn't even get the words out about what had happened to her. I can't even imagine. And uh, and this uh, and and I want to. We only get a couple more minutes. There's one more thing, big thing I want to talk about. But I will say for either a future podcast or over some pints, I will tell you one day about um, when I was living in Philadelphia 
Russians came after me. The FBI informed me of this several years ago. So I had, I did have in my life a little bit of an encounter uh, with the, the 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 long arm of the Kremlin, even in the United States. Uh, but you, uh, in your book, in in the paperback edition of Killer in the Kremlin, which came out in 2022. No, paperback no? came out early uh, this year in February. Early this year, and you uh, predicted that Putin would blow up the Novokakhovka Dam on the Dnipro River. Is this correct? Yes. Why, well, why, why did you think he would do that? And what, what, well, what was so I was looking at the nuclear issue, and uh -huh. a lot of people are very afraid about that. That's and, the big thing that they're okay, afraid of. Yeah. So, very simply, the Chinese, I can remember I was afraid about this a year ago today, and I saw that the Chinese, the deputy head of mission um, for China at the UN in New York, had warned about nuclear um, adventurism. Mm-hmm. And then the foreign minister said it, and then Xi said it at a Tyrants Are Us conference, I think at Samarkand, something Tyrants like this. Tyrants Are Us. Tyrants Are Us. <laughs> Putin, Xi, Modi, off we go. And it wasn't called that, but that's what it was. And so the Chinese are very, very important to Russia because right now China's buying an awful lot of Russia's oil. And they're supplying, although lying about it, they're supplying a lot of dual-use equipment. These are things like chips, um, parts for drones, drones, not not big rockets, because they're being they're being clever. But nevertheless, Putin does not want to fall out with the Chinese, and the Chinese are very worried about their economy. It's in trouble, hmm. and so what's happening is the Chinese fear any nuclear adventurism because that will kill the world economy and that will have a terrible effect on the Chinese economy. The Chinese economy is in trouble because they've maxed out on their credit card, there's been a terrible drought, and the, the vaccine against COVID didn't work properly. That's because people like you and me in China don't exist because we've all been shot or are in prison. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, a, in an open society, if your vaccine doesn't work, you know about it quickly. In a closed society, the state can lie. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I wrote in my book that China will use a nuke. By the way, I do think it's possible they can use, they might try and blow up the dam, uh, the nuclear power you station. Russia. Sorry, excuse me. I believe that Russia might, I, I didn't put this in the book, but mm -hmm. Russia might blow up the Zaporizhia nuclear power station with some kind of mines, but it won't be anything like as bad as Chernobyl. Mm -hmm. I, I don't rule that out. But what I wrote in the book is they're not going to use a tactical nuke against Ukraine, full stop, because the Chinese will kill Putin if he does. But I think it's very likely that they will blow up the dam. And I wrote it. So, Joe, do you want the lottery numbers? Yes, please. After <laughs> after we stop recording, just for me, uh, over a beer or five. Because that was, um, I mean, that, and the world forgets just how awful that tragedy was. Yes, and uh, we and we did not reply properly to the tragedy. Yeah. So what we should, so what should have happened is the F now, now, by the way, so people understand this because this is primarily for an American audience. We, the British and our, our, our brothers and sisters in Europe, are wrong because our defense budget is too low and we do not have enough stuff to send to Ukraine. Yeah. So the problem is this is critically an American decision because we have actually taken too much out, money out of the peace dividend. We've not spent enough on, 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 on weapons to defend ourselves and we should correct that. So my criticism 
of the United of the Biden administration has to be made in that fair context that we are at fault too. Sure. But after the explosion of the dam, there were you know this is ecocide. What should have happened is that the the Americans should have sent the Atacams and they should have sent the and they should have speeded everything up. These are longer range weapons. Yeah, too. yeah. And, and and this is what Ukraine needs to uh, to do the war. By the yeah. way, I think Ukraine is they're doing well, and the execution of Prigozhin says to the hardcore Russian soldiers who really who liked Prigozhin's earthy humor, who liked and Prigozhin was a good talker. Mm. He had some he had charisma in a way that Putin is just a kind of creepy secret policeman. So Prigozhin's execution means that if I'm a Russian fighter, I, I'm not going to do this. Why am I doing this? You know, the, the guy who really was good. So maybe there's an opening for a change of mindset if the West reacts with something strong. So it's, it's yeah. a game of pressure. Yeah. I, I think, that, and, and the thing with tyranny is mm. it doesn't, you can't predict it. It can look very strong today yeah. and tomorrow it can shatter. Yeah. But you do that by pressure. Remember, we are not nuking Russia. We are not in. We're not fighting the Russian army directly. All we're doing is supplying weapons so Ukraine can do a proper job. And the cost for Ukraine mm. is paid in blood. Yeah. In fact, uh, I just we had the news yesterday. Not just Ukraine, but the foreigners that come here. Uh, one of your countrymen, Sam Nui, uh, mm. a great, uh, just a great spirit. I uh, was fighting for Ukraine and was, was killed uh, in in the fight. Uh, and so there's good pe individual people from all over the world standing against this menace. Uh, and I, I love, uh, John, in this conversation, that this, the phrase that really sticks with me. Well, there's so many stories that, that I, I, I'm thinking about, but that phrase, those words, uh, the aristocracy of the human spirit, uh, what you've encountered here in Ukraine. And I hope we can have many more conversations. There's so much more to talk about. Uh, and please follow John on Twitter. Uh, we'll put the, all the information in the description uh, if you want daily updates, real stories, uh, follow the man in the orange the orange hat, uh, not a Russian spy, uh, the man who almost <laughs> threw up on Vladimir Putin, uh, Mr. John Sweeney. Uh, current book that's out is Putin's Prisoner uh, about Adon Aslan and his experience uh, when he was almost executed by the Russians. And this has been Joe Lindsley with my team from Ukrainian Freedom News uh, here with the great Ukrainska Pravda, free speech, independent media here in Kiev. And uh, with Mr. John Sweeney, uh, thank you so much. Duja Diakuyu from Kiev.